20 after Trinity, 21 after Pentecost, almighty and merciful God, fulfill in us your promises and grant, we beg you, that when the day comes that we sit down with all the redeemed at the heavenly feast, we praise you in eternal light through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, that'll be a welcome day. It must be something like, must be something like sitting down in the eternal feast. Is that the right thing? Thank you. Is that the, all that's left? Oh, no, I got the, I've got this one. Actually, can you get another one of these? I got this one. So some of you, uh, it's been an interesting week or two. You know, some of you have noticed um, that we, in fact, have changed the way we've done business. Now, it's been a couple of years for that, but um, now there's sort of this rumbling of, you know, do they know what they're doing? We think that we do. To prove it to you, I ask you a question about your wife. <clears throat> I could, but I felt like I was yelling at you. How's that? You want me to yell at you, Carol? You're an old school Lutheran, aren't you? If you don't, the pastor doesn't yell, then in the words of that immortal vicar, they don't preach the law. <laughs> really? Was your dad a yeller? He was a pastor. No, he was a quiet man. I bet he was. Uh, plus, he was had a call in California. You can't yell there. That's illegal. So, uh, all right, so I ask you a question about your wife. To, you know, I discern for you. When your wife has a trouble, and believe me, I speak only from my pastoral experience, not from anything personal. Um, when your wife has a trouble, uh, you, you men folk, in fact, Gaining and I, I don't know if you know this, we tried, uh, you, know how, you know how when you have a television series, you put out a pilot and they'd see if it gets picked up? Gaining and I had this pilot going, hints for husbanding. Uh, the Friday morning women didn't pick it up. So we're, it only lasted like one and a half times. And then we decided the only people that think we're funny is us. So, <clears throat> so if you men like Nicodemus want to come in the night and get some hints on husbanding, you can do that, but we're not going public with what we've got to say, are we? No, we're going to keep it to ourselves. We didn't have a lot of takers. Yeah, it was a, it was a weak response. Uh, so if you have a wife and your wife has a trouble, let me just ask you a question. Would you A... Rather, guess at what your wife's problem might be and suffer the rebuke of being wrong again and again and again. Or B, would you like your wife to tell you very clearly in 10 words or less what the trouble is? Okay, now think about that. Think about it for a moment. Think about it. I know this, for some of you this will take some time to sink in. And the right answer is... Yeah, see, okay, see, and that's why the Hints for Husbanding show sh would have been a success. We just piloted it to the wrong demographic. You see, what, if, if your wife just tells you what it is, then there's hope for you. If you have to guess, you know, you're too stupid to ever get it right. Okay, so here's the thing. Bible study is much like that. We have, in fact, shifted the paradigm a little bit over the last couple of years because the world has shifted, Okay. The world is a different place now. And some of you, there's been a minor revolt against the modern and the postmodern names as if somehow we were sort of labeling people and then there were good people and there were bad people and there were hip people and there were not hip. Well, there are hip people and not hip people, but hey, who else watched the VH1 top 100 hip-hop tunes last night? That's what I did for my birthday. That's what I did for my birthday. This is what you do when you get to be 51. I had a Big Mac with fries. Yeah, that's right. Blew it out. And... Watch the VH1 Top 100 Hip Hop. Hey, Chuck D, when was the last time you saw him? So, you know, they're still around, okay? All right, that's another. Apparently, I'm in the wrong demographic. So, so my DJ career is going down, too. Yes, my friend. I made 150. There can't be too few. There's not 150 people in this room, is there? 
I have two. Well, that just explains it then, doesn't it? So here's the thing. Would you rather have your wife tell you what's wrong, or would you rather guess for, oh, I don't know, a year and several gifts? I think what you'd rather do is have her tell you what's wrong. Here's the thing. And it's not that it's wrong, guessing. It's just it just takes longer. You know, the, the, the old school way of doing Bible study, there's nothing wrong with this, is line by line, and then you walk out and you say, wow, I know a lot, and then you look for places where that might apply. Do, 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 do. And you might find one, or you might not. In fact, you might be in the Lutheran church, and you might go a whole lifetime without ever applying anything. That was a joke, but apparently it hit very close to home. So, okay, uh, so here's the thing. Or the other side is, you could let the world tell you what their problems are, and then you could say, ah, I know a Jesus who has a story for that. See, and that sort of rings in what the sermons have been about. So, you know, just take this for what it's worth. You can't control it. You can't stop it. You can only hope to contain it. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Are you with me? Here's the thing. You can't stop the world. It's postmodern now. The modern world is dead. Put a fork in it. It's all over, okay? You know, you may be a modern, you may be a postmodern, you might, may be a pre-modern, that would be people who you still use the red hymnal, or you may be, you know, a post-postmodern. I don't, I, you know, it doesn't matter to me. I'm just telling you what the lay of the land is. The lay of the land is that in academics 50, 60 years ago, there was a shift intellectually, and what always happens is it dribbles down into culture 50 or 60 years later. So, you know, it's finally dribbled down that we're in what's called a postmodern age. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's just that it is different. People think differently now. If you're about 25 or below, you think completely differently than your parents do. You're marked by all kinds of interesting things. We're not endorsing postmodernism, but we are welcoming it because it gives us a chance to talk about Jesus. When there's change, you always get a chance to talk about Jesus, and particularly in postmodernism. And this is just in a sentence, you know. You can't sort of throw terms around and not know what they mean. Modernism basically means that the last 300 years didn't work out very well. Guess what? We couldn't think our way out of all our problems. That we really do, in fact, need a God and can't solve it for ourselves. That really there's no reason for excessive optimism about the human condition. Why? Because in the last century, there were more martyrs and more genocide and more chance to blow up the entire world in one fell swoop than there's ever been before. It's just that the last 300 years didn't work out very well. One of the casualties of the last 300 years was Jesus. You can't believe in a Jesus who does miracles. That's not rational. Guess what? Postmodernists don't care about that. They'll let Jesus do miracles again. Isn't this great? For 300 years, Jesus hasn't been able to do any miracles, and now suddenly he can do them again. That should warm all of your hearts. There's room for Jesus again, which is why we're excited. We're not excited because we're postmoderns necessarily. We're excited because there's room for Jesus again. People actually talk about that. But you can't talk about Jesus the way you did 100 years ago. You've got to talk about Jesus. You've got to give people the Jesus they need. And the Jesus they need really boils down to a Jesus who's interested in justice, a Jesus who's interested in beautiful things, a Jesus who's interested in spirituality, and a Jesus who's interested in community. So even though you think there's not a method to the madness, two years ago we talked about what it is to be the body of Christ in community. Ding, 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 ding. 
Last year we talked about what it is to live a beautiful life. Ding, 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 ding. And now this year we're talking about what it is to be an active Christian in the world. Why? Because one thing that postmoderns prize is authenticity. What they hate is hypocrisy. What they hate is people who talk all the time and never do anything. So here's the deal. Bible study is not about you, or it is about you, but it's not only about you. It's about you talking to your next door neighbor about the little baby Jesus. Guess what? All your excuses are gone. In another year, there are going to be plenty of seats and plenty of parking. And it's not going to be on us, it's going to be on you to bring your friends. You each bring one friend next year, and the church doubles in size. There's a method to the madness. There's a reason that we're doing this. The reason is we're teeing you up to go into a space with all sorts of potential. And it just happens that the whole world has changed in the interim. It couldn't be better. It's like, you know, everything comes together at once for our blessing. So um, it's a different world. Therefore, we're talking about it in a different way. We're talking about it in a different way because people are telling you what their problem is. The world is an unjust place. The world is an ugly place. I don't have any friends. You know the Bowling Alone, this book? I don't have any community. I don't have anybody to talk to. And my soul hurts. That is right in your sweet spot. I mean, that is just, that's the world tossing you a softball saying, let it go. And so what we're trying to do is teach you to talk to those people. So you can say to them, I know how to make your soul stop hurting. I can show you beautiful things. I know a place where people are very kind. Well, they'll accept you just the way you are, and they won't talk about you behind your back. I know a place where justice is the most important thing. The word for righteousness, for justification, is the word for justice. This is in our sweet spot. The reason we're excited is not because we're embracing the world. It's because the world has come to us. And these things tend to last sort of a long time. So probably for the rest of my life and yours, these are the people you're going to be getting at. This is gorgeous. I mean, you could not, if you prayed for a miracle, it could not be better. Now, the thing is, is, we got about six months or a year to get up to the task. And then it's full blast. Okay? Now, obviously, and we thought you might trust us more than maybe some of you do at this particular point, but obviously this doesn't mean we're leaving the text behind. We don't have anything but Jesus. That's all we got. But we've simply inverted the process where somebody like now and went from this gorgeous text about Emmaus and showed you how that worked in the world now we're looking at the world and we're coming back to some texts. Which texts are we coming back to? To the ones that talk about grace and the ones that talk about works, which is a place that Lutherans have been traditionally poor at. They're all about grace and they let it be an excuse for not doing good works. So the point is, in your Bible, you have both Galatians and James. And if you read them side by side, you might see that these things are complementary. Yes, you can glitch even the way Luther did and say, I just don't know what to do with that book. But the other possibility might be that James was actually, oh, I don't know, under the persecution of the Jews, or maybe Diocletian, when they are skinning people alive and crucify them, as once uh, Martin Hengel said, until they ran out of wood. They crucified Christians until they ran out of wood. 
There were no more trees left. That's how long, and they'd have done more if they'd have had some more wood. Then maybe you got something to say. Which is why, for instance, when James starts today and he just says, from James to the 12 tribes in dispersion, greetings, boom, let's go. Very unusual opening. Either in the uh, Greek world or in the Jewish world, very unusual opening. What it basically means, that's a 911 call when he does that. Let's go. Which is precisely the way it is for you. It's not let's go because you're being persecuted. It's let's go because the world has just opened up to you. And you're going to have a window of opportunity to tell people about Jesus if you listen to what the problem is and don't guess. They'll tell you what their problem is. The world is an unjust, ugly, non-communal, non-spiritual place. And if you can show people beauty in community, where justice actually works and their souls get fed, you will have people crawl over broken glass to join you in church. That's where we're trying to go. And that's really all that I was trying to say uh, last week. And I've just, sort of, I've just sort of given you kind of all under number one, just sort of suspend your doubts and just go with it. You can't change it. I mean, you cannot change it. This is the world as it is. You can ignore it, and you can be like all those churches, you know, when the neighborhood changes in the city and they don't want any black folk in their congregation or somebody that speaks Spanish... You can ignore it and you can die if you want. That's one possibility. The other thing you can do is embrace it and say, this is the world in which we live, and you can see opportunity, and you can pick up the challenge, and you can learn your lines. Very simply, I can show you beautiful things. I know a place where your soul will be fed. I know a place where justice reigns. I know a place where people will love you for what you are, and sometimes in spite of yourself. I mean, this, is, this could not be better. We, I know we've made some of you nervous because you think we've sort of given up the game to postmodernism. We haven't. We just see the possibility. I mean, you can talk to kids in a way you could never talk to them before. It's, it's fantastic. It couldn't be better. So all I'm asking you to do is uh, sort of give this a chance. Um... If you, I, you know, I'm not going to go by through the first page point by point. I kind of said what I need to say. But if you flip over, I will say that on the first, on the outline page, here's what needs to happen still. That everything is drawn into an orbit around Christ. Or that all that you have is drawn into the service of the gospel. We're going to read. That's what's going to happen. All you've got drawn into the service of the gospel. Or I'll just split it up for you this way. Galatians is about... Christ, scripture, prayer, and the divine service, and James is about tithing, mercy, and witness. It's just that simple. Galatians is all about talking. James is all about doing. The interesting thing is that for Hebrews, they couldn't separate the talking from their doing. We do that because we're a little too Western. We split things up like body and soul. For Jews, it was all just kind of one lump. But it's all the things we've always talked about you know, and I'll just, you know, I'll just be candid with you. Why, when I gave you the list of seven things ten years ago, Christ, Scripture, Prayer, the Divine Service, why did I give them to you in this order? Why did I then go to tithing, mercy, and witness? Because they get harder. As much as you may struggle with giving 10% of the church, that's easier for most of you than going down and wor- wor- working in a soup kitchen or washing somebody's feet. 
And even that is easier for most of you than talking to the person next to you about what Christ means. It's, you're not all the same, but in general, the more public our proclamation becomes, the more difficult it is for us. But here's the thing. The world is begging you for a proclamation. They're begging you. They're, 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 it's, I mean, it, it just couldn't be, you know, it just couldn't be, it just couldn't be better for us. But here's the thing, you do need to study the text and you need to study it with a pastor and you need to study it in a group and you need to not make the modernist mistake. The ultimate modernist thing is that you're an individual so the text can mean whatever you want. No, you read that in community, like when we did Luke, Luke 1.4, the word for catechesis is right there in Luke 1.4. I'm going to teach you so that you know things and then he ends the Gospel of Luke by saying, there I taught you so you know things. It's not a free-for-all. It's not a free-for-all. You should know that both denominations and heresy are proof at how hard it is to get doctrine right. And you're not going to get it alone with your small group over your kitchen table without any training. You're just not. As I said on the front, you know, as a smart-alecky way, you've got a better chance of creating cold fusion. Has anybody done cold fusion yet? No. Because in eighth grade, that would be like a state science fair number one project, wouldn't it? Okay, good. I just check it. So we're still looking for the cold fusion product. Here's the thing. Heresy is proof that people can't get it right without the church Catholic small c universal. Denominations are proof that the church can't get it right. What are denominations except that we can't figure out what the text says? Okay? So anyway, the whole thing is set up for you, um, and let's have a go. I tried to, uh, just for fun, you have a sheet that has columns on it? I tried to leave you room for ri to write, and I also tried to give you the chance to read these things next to each other. I'm going to go down to point three, and I'm just going to ask you, so you've got two things. You've got a text, one side Galatians, one side James. Galatians is why we do what we do. James is what we do. You've got to know why you do what you do, otherwise you're inauthentic. The greatest tyranny, not knowing why you do what you do, or doing the right thing for the wrong reason. <clears throat> it's still an F, Mrs. Mahoney, show your work. That's what I learned in eighth grade math, I have to show my work. Don't show your work, you don't get an A, okay? So Galatians is why you do what you do. James is what in fact you do. If On the outline, if you just look, these are the things that immediately jump out to you, at you. The appeal to authority. Neither of these guys say, I'm the final court of appeal. They appeal to the divine, which is brilliant, because that's what people are interested in. Their souls hurt. The urgency. James doesn't even have time to write a full, he doesn't even have time to write a full greeting. He's just got to get busy. People are getting skinned alive. Purpose. They're very clear about what it means to be a Christian. And it means both speaking and doing. It doesn't just mean talking, 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 talking. It means getting it done for the poor, for the weak, for the disenfranchised. Jesus, you did it to one of these, you did it to me. Faithfulness. Uh, we'll just read in just a second about how James goes, you've got to be kidding me. Weren't you paying attention in new members class? You didn't know this was coming? You weren't paying attention. You should have paid attention. Well, it's here now. Do the best you can with it. Perfection, which is where they're going, that you'd be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We have to figure out what that means. And amen. You're all in, aren't you? And amen is the way the liturgy talks. So there's a liturgy actually going on here. Okay, so we're going to read side by side. Take your text, Galatians and James. 
Down the left side, if you're writing on your own thing, Galatians tells you why you do it. James tells you what to do. So Galatians is the why, James is the what. Okay, and it's very interesting. In a, in, a, in, a, in a letter in New Testament times, you had three components. You had the name, the address, <clears throat> and the greeting. Okay? So you get the name first, Paul James. Boom, Paul James. An apostle. The word from apostello means to be sent. So immediately Paul erases himself. Hey, I'm just here because, you know, uh, I'm just here because somebody sent me. If I get this wrong, it's Jesus' fault. You get crabby at me, see Jesus about it. Do you have in your, is it the Caravaggio of Paul in your room, or is that, is that Paul, or is that Jesus down from the cross? Yeah, okay. There is a brilliant, you don't have the Paul, do you? There's a brilliant Caravaggio on the one side when next time we go to Rome together, on the one side is, is the call of St. Matthew, which I've told you about several times. On the other side, it's this little, um, it's three enormous canvases, one, two, three. On this side is the call of St. Matthew. On this side is the call of Saul, who becomes Paul. He's off his horse, still one foot in the stirrup, light in front of him, blinded on his back. Apostle, and I know you can go home and turn on a, cha a channel with a you know a big number, uh, that where there'll be a pastor who he'll say he's an apostle so and so from such and such church. Apostle is the word reserved for people who got a direct call from Jesus face to face. That would be the twelve, and then Paul. Properly used, the word doesn't fit other people. Okay. So we don't have modern-day apostles, as it were. Paul, an apostle, which means I saw Jesus face-to-face, -face, and he went, he went blind to show that he saw him face-to-face. -face. And then the other side, James, servant, which you know is a polite term. It should properly be translated, doulos should be properly translated as slave. So here you've got messenger boy on one side, slave on the other side. Now, immediately, they've erased themselves, and they're going to do what rabbis do, which is they're just going to give you the stuff their rabbi said. You got famous in the ancient world, especially in the Jewish world, by who your rabbi was. Your rabbi told you a story, and you told that story to your students. You know, it's like if you go study at Harvard, then you're famous because you studied at Harvard. It's better if you have a Nobel Prize winner who's your professor at Harvard. That's the best way. You got a great rabbi. Okay, so Paul, an apostle, he sent... And then immediately, for those of you who may be suspicious of this guy who once persecuted the church, who, who thought he persecuted the Christians because he didn't understand them to be something different or as fulfillment, Paul, Saul, sorry, persecuted them because he understood them to be unfaithful Jews. This is the bottom line. He persecuted them because he thought they had a bad Christology. Christ is the word from Messiah, the anointed one. Paul thought, Saul, Paul, while he was still Saul, Saul thought this group of Jews were heretics. And they were heretics because they had a Messiah who died on a cross. So Paul's basic beef is Christology. You just have Jesus all wrong. 
Okay, which is not uncommon for the way things are today. Most denominational issues can be resolved by whether or not you get Jesus right. For example, does Jesus put himself in the chalice in the Eucharist or not? You close that gap and you eliminate most of the denominations. Okay? It says, so there's nothing new under the sun. Paul, an apostle, not from men. Men didn't send me. Not through men. That's not where I get my strength. But, and now look, they both say the same thing. They say it chiastically different. Paul says, through Jesus Christ and God the Father. James says, of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But they both mean the same thing. And it's very interesting. There is an echo, in, especially in Paul, there of the Our Father. One of the great heresies uh, is to suggest that God has wrath by nature. Okay? So this is great. This is great for people whose souls hurt. All this talk about spirituality, people yearning, yearning for a God, and yet scared of God. Right? You're scared of God. So you want to see a beautiful thing? A God who is nothing but love. A God who is nothing but love is a beautiful thing. You want to know a beautiful thing? To be loved in spite of yourself. You know what will fill your soul? When people say, I need to do this or I need to do that, or if I only do this or if I can only do that, or if I can only stop doing that or if I can only start doing that, then I'll be enlightened? The answer is no. The Lord gives his gifts. And so in the greetings, I'll just skip you down to verse 3 on the left, grace to you in peace, charis, and shalom. So everything that the Greek world has to offer and everything that the Jewish world has to offer, all that God in is, is, is in his nature, charis, grace, gift, greeting, grace, and peace, all that God intended human community to be in Eden, shalom, salam, peace. All that God intended is what Paul is delivering. You want to see community? Live in Eden. That prayer that we just read? We can't, we can't wait to get to the feast where everything is bathed in light. I can't either. You want community? I'll show you community. Come to the Eucharist where everybody looks each other in the eye across the table, and you cannot stay if you hate someone. Okay? I mean, this could not, this is just right in our wheelhouse here. I mean, this is, uh, uh, you know, this could not be better. Paul and James, the address to the churches of Galatia, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. What's the dispersion? Acts 8, chapter 1. The Jews persecuted the church. And when people get persecuted, one of the things that they do is move. And so when people move, they still need care. They need it especially when they move. So James, and I'm going to let Gainik have a go at this at some point, um, when I think you're strong enough, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, we'll talk about who James was and who is this. Is this is this is this James, uh, the son of Alphaeus? James, the son of Zebedee? James, the brother of Jesus? Did Jesus really have a brother James? Is it another James? 
And how can a guy write with this kind of authority, James, to the 12 tribes, greeting, and just start talking and everybody <coughs> pays attention? How can that happen? So you've got to figure out who he is at some point. Okay. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're just going to work down the left side, and then we're going to be done. Look at this, though. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present age. Most of the commentaries think already that Paul is quoting a hymn. This phrase reappears in Paul's work. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present age. They think that this is either a hymn or what was said just before the consecration of the Eucharist. So what does this mean? It looks like Paul is already invoking the liturgy. Okay? In fact, he's going to close with amen, which is the way the liturgy closes. So for people who suggest the liturgy got invented with the red hymnal, here it is. This is either a hymn or a Eucharistic confession already very early in the church. Okay? And to snatch us from the, from the, from the evil age, that's atonement talk. How do, things, how do wrongs get made right? How do we get snatched out of an evil age? How does the Lord pull us out of what's out there and into something new? How does the Lord give us a new story? How does the Lord forgive our sins? What happens when the Lord baptizes a child? What really goes on at the Eucharist? You can cast this question any way you want. But in all those things, the common denominator is that a holy thing, Jesus Christ himself, touches you, unholy folk, and me, and makes us hallow, hallowed, and in fact makes us part of a community. Who gave himself, and then a repeat of, God doesn't have any wrath in his nature, according to the will of our God and Father. When you pray, pray like this, our Father, Abba, Daddy. When you pray, pray like this, Daddy, I, I wish your kingdom would come. I wish your will would be done. Right? To him be glory forever and ever. And amen, you know, <clears throat> I was asked the other day why I raised my voice at the amen. I raised my voice at the amen for precisely the same reason that Paul puts amen here. Because amen is first confession, but it is also an invitation to action. You're in or you're out by whether or not you say amen. The body of Christ, you say amen and you can have it. Say not amen and you cannot have it. Right? I believe in God the Father and his only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit. Amen. If that's your amen, you're in. If it's not your amen, you're out. So what's happening here? What, what, I mean, what, is, what does Paul say? The Galatians are in trouble. The people of James are in trouble. What's the answer? Stunning. Christology and liturgy. There it is, right there, in, right there in Galatians. He runs you out a few verses of the liturgy just to say this is who we are, and then he tells you what the liturgy is about. It's about Christology. It's about atonement. It's about Christ on the cross. However, it's, it's inside baseball when we all talk about it together. You know, what we need to do is be able to translate that to people who largely are interested in Beauty, spirituality, justice, and community. And when you can do that, then you fulfill what the Lord bids you to do, which is teach 
teach everybody in all the world to treasure up all the things that I've given you. And then he ascends to heaven. That's the church's job. So here's the thing. It's a great time in the life of the church. It's a great time in the life of the church. It's a great opportunity in the life of the church. We just, this is just a wonderful possibility just before us. Uh, the question is whether we'll be up to the task. I really want to keep going. I just can't because um, we're late. But the, the next James bit is absolutely brilliant. Here's, I'll give you this assignment. As you read on the other side, struggles with living forgiven. When he says, when you meet all kinds of trials in various ways, here would be a great assignment for you. Go read, I think it's Matthew chapter 4 or 5, uh, The Temptations of Jesus, next to this text. Because here's what happened. He's just said to you, you're sons and daughters of Christ. And then he says, boom, you get tempted. Which is to say, you're living the story of Jesus. Boom! What did you expect? Okay? Jesus gets baptized. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then, bang, he gets nailed. And these folks got baptized. They converted. And what happens to them? Boom, they get nailed. And then he says, uh, what did you miss in the catechesis? Did Gainig not set it up right? Did you not get the whole full story? Did you not trade stories? Did you not get far enough down the road? Because if it happens to Jesus, it happens to you. Romans chapter 6. Whatever happens to Jesus happens to you. If he dies, you die. If he rests in the tomb, you rest in the tomb. If he rises, you rise. And if he lives in glory, you live in glory. But remember, the story started with him dying. Which is why Paul only uses, he makes a, the, I just, my last hobby horse for the morning, I'll ride it and then put it in the barn. Uh, he only talks about the resurrection one time. The, in all of Galatians, this is the one place where he says, in verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, through Jesus Christ, whom the Father raised from the dead. No more talk about the resurrection. If you give people a choice between Easter and Good Friday, almost everybody chooses Easter. Paul chooses Good Friday, which is why you have a body on your cross. An empty cross is not the sign of the resurrection. It just means the Romans wanted to use the wood again. Okay? An empty tomb is not the sign of the resurrection. It just means somebody might have stolen him. But if he folds up his linens nicely, and then he comes to you in the garden, and again at Emmaus, and again at the altar, that's the sign of resurrection. It's all about Christology. It's all about liturgy. It's all about keeping your story straight. It's all about being able to tell your story to other people. If you don't study the text, you can't do that. But if you don't study the world, you can't do that, which is where we are now. Okay? Thanks. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much. See you next time.